Hello, hello, Dan. How's it going? Going great, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Special day today. What is it? It is New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve. Hey, we got it right. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. Um, <laughs> let's never, ever try to do something like that again. Mm, on the maybe. Podcast. We'll yeah. see. A little too cheesy. Uh, it's New Year's Eve, and we are shooting our podcast, and we're covering a really important topic that also is very relevant to New Year's, which is goal setting question are you a big uh like resolution like new year's resolution type of person i actually am um i think it's something where uh, i like just reviewing the year anyway so this Mm -hmm. past week was super productive for me i also felt good just to kind of look back at the last year go over the good stuff uh go over some of the bad stuff too and then um sort of figure out what the plan is going forward i always enjoy looking at the next year and sort of breaking it down into chunks uh, setting some big goals. I know you're a huge goal setter. So yeah. we've already gone through a couple exercises together. Yeah. And uh, yours are actually much more structured than mine. So I'm excited to talk about a little bit about where you got these, how you think about them, totally. and sort of get into more detail. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. I, you know, there's also like a couple of different types of goal setting. There's business goals. Like if you're doing like planning for 2022, what are some of the uh, objectives that we're trying to hit as a business? And then there's also personal goal setting. And I, I don't see the two as too different to be honest um the number one most important thing when you're setting a goal regardless if it's personal or professional is buy-in from everybody who's involved so if it's a personal goal that's you you have to have buy-in uh if it's a business goal you need buy-in from everybody on the team who's responsible for executing against that goal and i'm gonna say something that nobody does but i think it's really a game changer when it comes to goal setting on the sales side is actually getting the reps involved in the goal setting, which nobody does. That's crazy to me. I mean, well, the idea is fantastic, but it's crazy to me that people don't do this more often because it seems to me the buy-in question, I mean, going back to why uh, why people kind of fail at the gym with, you know, hey, I want to join a gym, I'm going to get in shape this year, right? Right, uh, right. They sort of just have a surface level goal without much thinking behind it. There's no buy-in. Totally. I mean, to not have your whole team involved and transparently, you know, clearly into the same uh, metric into the same thing that they're after. Yeah. It's not going to work. No, not at all. And it's because it's so tied to comp, right? So the executive team, they go into a room and they agree on a revenue target for next year. And what's interesting actually about that is I said, so I'm a big fan of setting big goals and you know, the Grant Cardone, who I'm not a huge fan of, but the 10 X rule is a fantastic book. And I like mm-hmm. that principle, like take whatever your goal is and multiply it by 10. And like, that should be your real goal. And you'll find yourself in a, um, a better spot than you were if you set a smaller goal, even if you miss the bigger one. Uh, so I like that. And typically companies will set a really, really aggressive goal for their revenue target for the year. You know, let's say you're doing a million in ARR, you may say, oh, we want three X our revenue um, or we want to three X our ARR by the end of 2022. Great. That's awesome. Now, how do we do that is the next part of the equation. If you just take that three million in ARR and let's say you have one million now, that's two million in additional ARR and you have a team of two sales reps and your you know average contract value for a year is... 7k it's gonna be tough right Mm -hmm. unless you guys have a really really strong uh system in place already the math may not work out there so what ends up happening is a sales leader will get their revenue number they'll kind of break it down there'll be some head count involved and they're going to try to do some load balancing and they'll just give that number to the team what i like doing is i like getting the team involved in setting that target 
And with me there, I can influence them or push them to set a bigger goal. But the important piece is that we're walking through the math on how that goal will be achieved. Of course, it makes it more real that way. But I actually want to go back to something you said about Grant Cardone. The uh, the thing about the 10x rule that I think is is actually the the thing that makes it special is that you have this moment where, okay, I set a goal. I want to make a million dollars next year, right? And then when I apply the 10x thing to it, wait, okay, I want to make 10 million next year. There's a little like, whoa moment that I have to go right. through. And I have to say, wait a minute, is this, how do I, how do I get there? How do I, how do I make this real? How do I make this, that little transformation of going from the, that initial goal to the second goal is, it's a big deal to, to, yeah. to experience yourself. And what I think happens at most when you do it on an organization level, when you're pulling in people later and just showing them the end result, they didn't get to have their whoa moment. Right. And I think right. that's a big deal where they're just like, point. okay, I guess this is the goal I have to hit and just follow. Th- they, they haven't been on the journey with you on the goal setter side of things. Yeah. That's 100%. I totally agree with that. That's a really good way of putting in that whoa moment. Also side note here, people typically hold themselves to really low standards. You talk to a bunch of random people on the street and you ask their goals, like they're setting like pretty low goals compared to what they're truly capable of. Because we do such a terrible job of evaluating our own abilities, you know? So if I just blindly let a sales team set their own targets without me present, they're gonna come to a lower target than if I am present. It's just natural, it's human behavior. This is a this is genuinely a problem at a personal level. And then also I, I would guess most companies. I mean, I, I can think of many examples of friends of mine who I've watched get sort of into this rut. And yeah. it's and to me that that's sort of the norm that, that happens with many people is that just year after year, they have security, they have stability and you know, they have other responsibilities. They have lives going on. So that's fine. But I watched people who are really pushing themselves in their twenties. And then suddenly I just three years later, uh, kind of, you know, they're just totally, they're not even thinking about the right. goals. That's the interesting thing is there, it's not that they're necessarily even setting low goals. They're not even thinking about goals. Why isn't, do you, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think it comes back a little bit to that security and stability. I think a little bit is also possibly fear-based. Um, and I think that once you, another element that I, that I think is pretty powerful here is also who you're around. So totally, yeah. if you're around a bunch of people, it's like that tipping point kind of thing. The more people you're around who just aren't really talking about it and just doing their own thing, they're just going to keep on sort of, you know, keeping on. And right. whereas if you surround yourself with people who are pretty intense about, you know, development and, uh, and, you know, stuff like goal setting stuff like, you know, hitting bigger targets and things like growth, um, can be a little annoying sometimes, right. but at the same time, if you have, if you buy in yourself with that, that's where it's it's very easy to keep the energy up when the energy's there. You feed it. You feed off of this like like a like a system. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Of course. Uh, I had somebody tell me once. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It also might have been like an influence. I might have read this. I totally forget where this wisdom came from, but it's not coming from this guy. It came from an external person. And uh, what they told me is they said being super driven in your 20s is mandatory, of course, but mm-hmm. also really easy because everyone around you is kind of driven and nobody has achieved very, very much. As you start getting older, more people around you either become successful, which makes you feel like there's now a gap between you and then where other people in your bracket or in your group, your peer group are. But in addition to that, and this is a little morbid, the, this is genuinely what they told me, people around you start dying Mm -hmm. and you hit your thirties and stuff. And now next, you know, like your friends are dying and that makes it really like it as a, 
person and I've been through through this before like really close friends of mine and you go through it and you start thinking like God, oh, life is so short which I you look I think it's good to appreciate life life is short um, but there is a downside of that when taken to a certain extreme where you stop pushing yourself you start you stop uh, you start ignoring your drive and you say I'm comfortable with where I'm at if you're truly comfortable you know, no judgments here, but that is what happens to a lot of people. And then they stop setting goals. They kind of reach a point where they're kind of sort of stagnant, et cetera. I think, I think there's also, there's another element of this. And I think it's, it's uh, the idea of cognitive dissonance. You know, I've, uh, I have this picture in my head of me as a super successful person and, you know, all this big stuff that I want to achieve. Right. And maybe I've had that since my twenties and maybe I have that at the age of 20 and every year I set a goal to get there and then another goal to get there. Right. But eventually maybe I'm not, I'm not getting close enough to that dream state. And the more time I spend not there, the more psychological pressure there is on me to kind of look at my current life and sort of get very upset with. And I think one of the, defense mechanisms our, our brains do to ourselves is sort of delete the dream a little bit so yeah. that it becomes just you start to just accept where you're at and and again there's nothing really wrong with that as, as long as stuff is good for you but um, I think that's what happens and people just it, it's so uncomfortable to think about that state and to think about the years that you spend trying to get there and not making the sort of progress that you feel good about so a lot of it in, in my opinion is also about tracking you see what I mean like if you if you're tracking yourself along a path and you take the time to celebrate the wins from last year, for example, right. or the last five years or something, and you can take positive, you know, little wins to build up some positive momentum for yourself and then set some goals towards that, that dream state, it becomes a lot healthier of a process versus one where it's just always reaching and missing. Mm, yeah, for sure. Like if you don't know what winning tastes like, eventually you just lose the will to strive to win it's totally hard and you know we run into this a lot when we go into a company that has a a sales org already and their team's not hitting any of their numbers and there's just this consistent um streak of poor performance and what do you have to do well the answer is you have to change the streak so you go and you evaluate the goals and you say look we're resetting here we're changing the process. You guys get to be involved in that process. This is really important. We're going to you know, have a tight feedback loop. We're going to lower the goal. This is what the new target is. And then we're going to increase it to where it should be over time. And we're going to let the data tell us where it should be. And you get people rallied back up and you start celebrating the little wins that you build. <clears throat> Maybe what makes sense here is to talk a little bit about the process, or at least I'll, I can talk about the one that I recommend folks go through. Before you do, can yeah. I just pause you for a second? Totally. I think the... Uh, what you just said about, I just want to want to grab onto that for a second because one of the, the things that gets me most excited about uh, the way we work is this opportunity to come in as external third-party people right? and then come in, find the processes, the systems, even the people sometimes that aren't really working correctly and then help reset things, sort right. of break up systems that aren't proper or, or aren't functioning correctly. Right. And what's amazing to me is, is seeing people who are, who, who are working at a certain level and let's say it's it's not optimal and it's sort of disappointing and it's and people sort of look at them as disappointing with a little f- couple of tweaks here and there so many people can be turned around into just excellent versions of themselves without much more work than just changing the surroundings a little bit totally yeah really really good point uh, people can change so Absolutely. let's change them yep right like if you're not where you want to be today then just focus on becoming where becoming better and getting to where you want to be tomorrow. And 
one of the things I think is really not talked about enough is how much control we have over our emotions and how we're feeling. Happiness is a choice. Fulfillment is a choice. Burnout is a choice. And it's not very popular to say those things, but it's the reality. You can totally control your emotions. You can control what you get out of certain situations. And without having training around how to do that, I can see the situation where someone is totally guided by their emotions. If you let your whole life be guided by your own emotions about things that are happening to you, you're not going to get very far, you know, or you'll peak and burn out, you know, like this is super common. But, but also like where, where does the training come from? If, if you don't go seek it, right. it's not in our school systems. It's really not in many, many companies, cultures. I mean, yeah. it, it, the, even if it is, it is not trained in a way that is able, that is easy for people to absorb and then enact in their own lives very easily. That's why the people who go down, you know, deep into the personal development routes and stuff. Yeah. I, it's, I understand why, because it's, it's almost the only source of this kind of structure that when you apply it and you start seeing the wins, you want to go, you know, further with it, but it's, it doesn't really right. exist anywhere else unless you were lucky enough to maybe get it from your parents or something like that. Totally. But yeah. It's um, yeah, it's, it's not really present. You have to go seek it. Yeah, totally, totally true. And there's way too much. Oh, it's how you feel. Oh, you know, this like, super lame messaging and maybe I'm dancing around, you know, like how I truly feel. Uh, it's BS. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like one of the things that bothers me more than anything, and this is a huge pet peeve, it's not more than anything, but this is a big pet peeve of mine is the phrase, my anxiety. Okay. Oh my gosh. My anxiety. It's like, why are you claiming ownership of that? Anxiety is an emotion. My anxiety. You don't say that about, you don't say my happiness. Oh, my happiness. Oh, you know, that's really having an impact on my happiness. Oh, that actually you might say. But um, people don't own their happiness like they own their anxiety. Their anxiety is something that lives within them and it belongs to them. Yet they will say like, oh, I felt happy today. It's a really interesting separation. It's a I, huge separation. Language is so important. And we, we talk about this. We, I got this from Tony Robbins. This is not my wisdom either. Um, which maybe nobody's wisdom is their own wisdom. But here, the, the three things he talks about is um, changing your physiology, changing your focus, and changing your language mm -hmm. in order to change you know, your, how you feel and your state. And by claiming ownership of something like anxiety, that trains your brain to believe that that will always be there because it's yours. And by not doing that with other emotions, you're training your brain that these are fleeting. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're gone, but they don't belong to you. If you're lucky, you get to experience them, but your anxiety belongs to you. Whether you're lucky or unlucky, it's there. It's a pretty heavy way to treat uh, something. I mean, it, it, it's so true. I mean, I think we wouldn't necessarily have to get into this today, but the, uh, I had an exercise I went through after uh, being at a business conference at, w at one point where the guy sort of walked us through how to get rid of your negative self-talk mm -hmm. and how it's basically, it comes down to rationality. If you're able to accept, just first of all, acknowledge that it's there and then look at it and then rationally address it. Is this true or not true? You get so much further because you can just delete, I mean, 99% of it usually right? Um, by just saying like, am I really an idiot? Probably right, right. not. You know, am I, do I really hate my life? Probably not. Right, right. So, but if you just walk through these things and most people don't take the time to do it because it's a lot easier and safer to just claim what you just claimed because, you know, the, the, the thing you just repeated is, you know, oh, it's, it's just my anxiety or it's just, you know, my, it comes down to whatever. And right. uh, 
yeah, so I, I think that's a maybe a maybe a topic for another day. But it's well, it where doesn't it's super, have to be Dan. Okay, because I actually want to explore this. Let's, because if let's you don't get jump this in, right, man. your goals are gonna you're just gonna screw your. goals I agree up, with you, right? Like you have to get your head right. And some things I want to point out here, and we'll go real quick, and maybe we do a whole podcast no, no, let's, just let's on this go. Top, topic. But uh, here here's what I want to highlight that's helped me a lot. And I, I'm trying to think of some books that I've read where I got some of this information from. So the Buddha's brain was definitely one. And then the other one was, it's called Thinking Like a Monk. Have you heard of this mm-hmm. book? Thinking Like a Monk or Think Like a Monk, one of the two. I think I know who you're talking. I think I know you, the monk that you're referring to. Yes. Yes. Um, I think he also does karate. <laughs> stupid, sorry. Um, I played those games as a kid. They dress like monks. Okay. So um, Think Like a Monk and Buddha's brain. So here is something that, I do that is really helpful for me if I feel myself in some kind of heightened emotional state where I feel like I'm not in control of my emotions I'm feeling something that isn't just pure optimism (laughs) as I drive towards my dreams Um, and if I feel anxiety or if I feel something like that what I do let me take a step back or if somebody else is doing things to me that's making me feel a certain way what I do is I just break down similar to what you said where you analyze how you're feeling you ask yourself why do I feel like this Oh, I feel like this because of some stuff that happened in my childhood that now makes me kind of triggered when certain things happen. And then you say like, okay, well, the thing that happened, it triggered this emotional response, but is that warranted, right? Like did what happened really mm-hmm. cause you to be this way? Or did the thing that happened was an isolated thing that should be treated as such? So what could be an example of this? Um, has you know Everyone has gotten an email from a coworker where they read it and they got angry. And they're like, this jerk, you know, like he has no idea what, you know, what we're working on. And you get like this emotional thing and you're like, oh, they want us to do this. And you get kind of all worked up and mad. And then you talk to the person and the person's like, Oh, this is what I was thinking da, 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 do. And it was like totally different tone, right? And you didn't know the tone, right? Cause it's an email. Uh, you let yourself get upset, have an emotional response to something that wasn't really there. Now, if you're aware of that, what you could do is you could separate the emotion from the thing and ask yourself, is that justified? Is my emotions, ju- are my mm-hmm. emotions justified as a response to whatever stimuli I've just received? Typically it's not. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's really the funny thing is that you can break up these sort of patterns that are almost, they're not subconscious necessarily, but it's, it, they're, they're patterns we're used to playing out every day. And if I see something, maybe I'm quick to anger on something. Maybe I'm, maybe right. I, I react badly to this and rationality often will take you will at least pause the, it'll stop the cycle from repeating itself. And you can just kind of check in and say, do I need to do this? Do I need right. to, to react like this? Or can I just take a step back and, uh, while we're on the subject, I'm curious, what do you do to when, when something, when you do catch yourself uh, in either reacting badly to something or sort of thinking maybe uh, an assumption that you don't want to assume, what do you do to break up that, that cycle? It's a good question. It depends on how emotional I am. If, um, you know, I've had experiences before in the past where I get like, if, if I get really emotional, very few times this has happened, I just, I change where I'm at. So you know how some people, when they get really mad, they go for walks. Yep. Like, I think that's a healthy thing. Uh, you want to change your physical location. I actually had one, uh, a rep once who had like a full mental breakdown at the office. And one of the first things I did, because we were in a room having a one-on-one and he was totally breaking down. What I did was I made him change seats with me. Mm, interesting. And I said, Hey, you, uh, real quick, the sun's kind of in my eyes. Like, can we, you mind changing seats real fast? Sorry to interrupt. Like he's like, oh yeah, 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 sure. So we switched seats, sat down, 
totally different person all of a sudden. So I think changing your physical location is really helpful for that. Um, in general, though, what I've, what I feel, <laughs> this is going to sound kind of insane, but when I feel something that's uncomfortable, uncomfortable emotion, I'm very fast to go. Why do I feel like that? And I've sort of gotten used to it now. Maybe it was harder early on, but yeah, it just reminds me in Buddha's brain, he talks about this anecdote from Buddhism that uh, talks about these two darts. And you've heard me talk about this before, but let me mm-hmm. show the story real quick. Two darts. The first dart is something that happens to you. So for example, I walk into my house, I step on a Hot Wheel that my son left on the floor. This is a very common story. And I get upset. And I go, I yell at my wife. By the way, this part's not the common part of the story. But I go and I yell at my wife and say, why didn't you clean up the house? (laughs) Okay, this is terrible. Um, The first dart was me stepping on, the, the pain I felt from stepping on the Hot Wheel. The second dart was my emotional response that caused me to go and yell at my wife. So there's four phases of awareness, I think is what he calls it in the book. The first phase is nothing like you just did the whole thing <laughs> and you're like totally oblivious where a lot of people live you know they come home they yell they're something angry triggers something yeah. triggers them they lose their mind their anxiety takes over um so that's the first one <laughs> right. the second one uh the second one is you have the you the same thing happens you go through the whole response you come in step on the hot wheel you go and yell at the wife except this time afterward you realize oh that was a second dart response then the third phase is you step on the hot wheel, you feel that emotional anger, you have the desire to go and yell at your wife, but you choose not to because you caught yourself. And then the fourth, you step on the hot wheel. You step off of it, you bend down, pick it up and put it away. And that, my friend, is enlightenment. And it's definitely on the way, I guess. I mean, it's a, I, I think that those types of little, I've heard of so many little tricks and ways to just kind of check in. I mean, you know, the rubber band trick around your wrist. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a little thing to like, you know, basically it's to snap the rubber band against your wrist whenever you catch yourself doing the behavior you want to change. Right. Right. And I think that thought patterns and behaviors are tightly connected. Yeah. And people actually think that the rubber band thing is because of the pain. It's actually not. It's anchoring. This is like right. an old neuro-linguistic programming, yep. NLP. This is the old NLP before, um, what is it, natural language processing now? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. The uh, old NLP where you, what you do is you get yourself into like an emotional state and then you do something physical with your body to like anchor that state that you're in. So an example of this would be like you visualize a bunch of gratitude, you get yourself all fired up about something, you visualize you achieving your goals, you're all excited, you have more energy, more confidence than you've ever had before and then like you touch your ear. And then whenever you do it, oh, I'm so fired up, boom, touch your ear, touch your ear. And then what ends up happening is when you're not in that state and you're feeling a little bit weird, you touch your ear, it brings back some of that emotion. It's not the same, but it brings it back because you've anchored yourself. When you touch your ear, you're kind of in this state. That's what's happening with the rubber band thing. Yeah, and I think it's, it's something where people underestimate how powerful it is because right. it's something, it, it looks a little weird and right. it sounds a little weird maybe, but it's a skill. And once totally. p- people who are able to build that up, and I, I know a couple folks who are really good at this, and I, I've, I've tried in the past, I'm not great at it, but um, I know a few people who are uh, who are very good at it, and you, know, you can actually see them changing just a couple little taps, and then yeah. just reset, and they're good to go. And yeah, it's good. I, I think it's really powerful. Like One thing I do is if somebody's talking, I used to interrupt a lot, and if somebody's talking and I have an idea, I pinch my finger like this, and um, which looks good 
goofy, especially in conversations, but I kind of hide it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I pinch my finger and I almost catch the thought. And what's cool is I can be totally listening. I can continue the conversation for 15 minutes and I'll keep my finger like this and then I can release it and I'll have the thought. And it works most of the time. I, I can't remember a time when it hasn't, but I'm sure it has. You know, It's really interesting. I have not caught you doing that. That's uh, Yeah, because I do. I, I hide it. Smooth. I'm like this. Oh, let me do it for the video. I'm like this. Like Ital- I'm Italian is what I'm doing. I'm being, basically being an Italian. And as a Greek man, it hurts me to say, but sometimes, you know, you take the best of all cultures is what I try to do. But should we talk about goal setting? Let's do it, man. Okay. Uh, get your head right was the first lesson. Okay. Goal setting. Let's just, I want to go through like personally what I do and let me, let me just walk through my process and maybe I could even <clears throat> go through some of my questions too that I have. Um, let me pull this up. But it all starts with doing a reflection of the last period, whether that be a year or a quarter. I goal set every quarter. I've been goal setting quarterly for five years now-ish. And I have a small group that I do it with, and that group has sort of changed throughout the years. And one of the things that I've learned is that goal setting is a skill you have to practice and get better at and mold it to you. I have looked at Tony Robbins' uh, goal setting uh, framework, uh, Brendan Burchard's, Tom Hopkins has one, old school sales trainer, uh, a handful of other ones. So I have gone through a lot of goal setting things and what I found is that the best ones are the ones that you've built for yourself. So what I'll walk through here, are the, it's the one I built for me. Works really well for me. Also works well for the people who do it with me. It's not gonna be great for everybody. It has a healthy mix of like woo-woo corny shit and like practical hardcore goal setting. I think it's important to do both. I agree. Cool. So let's talk about it. So it starts off with a year summary. The first thing, so I'll talk year because we're at the new year, but I do this every quarter. So if you want to do this quarterly, replace every time I say year with quarter. Year summary. I sit down typically with my phone and I look through my pictures and I look at any like going to say journal entries, but like I just started journaling again over the past couple of days. So I felt weird lying to everybody about journaling when it's not really true. But I have gone through stretches where I journal and I'll like go through the journal, right? So you kind of go through whatever materials you have to help remind you of what happened over the course of the year. And the key is to take as much time as you can and write down all of the milestones, the good, the bad, everything, because you did a lot more than you thought. This is, this is a point I want to jump in on because uh, we did a version of this at, uh, we, we host a trends meetup every, uh, every Wednesday here right. at the office. And um, we, we did a version of this and I'd never heard of the Google Photos thing before. And I did it, uh, you know, when we were going through the exercise and I didn't really buy it until I did it. Once I did it, I got to say, it was super helpful. I started saving photos. I started, you know, putting everything into, into one little doc. It was really helpful and it was, um, it was very, what's the right word for this? Uh, it made me feel happy. Hmm. You mean it sparked your happiness? You see how that was a tie back to what we were talking about, taking ownership of our positive emotions? Thank you. I, that was good. I did see that. That was good because I was present. And you didn't see it, but I was doing this the entire time. <laughs> Just joking, I wasn't. Um, yeah, it's great. It has a huge impact on people. Every time I do this part of it, afterwards, I go, well, how did that feel? And people are like, 
it's I something about it. the visual stuff and yeah. seeing like the photos that you took that right. you clearly are going to remember where you were at, you know, the whole thing. It, totally. it was, it was very nice. And, uh, it was very, it wasn't, it was more than nice. So yes, it was nice. It made me feel all that uh, good stuff, but then it was also specific. And I think that's right. another thing with, with this review side of things when you're specific and you're not just, well, I did well. And then, you know, things were good and then kind of move on quickly. But you say, no, no, well, I actually remember, you know, literally summiting that mountain. And right. And you know, that was one of my things. And then I remember this hike. And then I remember yeah. it, it, that was really, really fun. Right, right. It's a great exercise. And like I said, and I do, if you do this quarterly, it probably blows your mind more because a year's a long time. People, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of focused on years. But even in the on a quarterly basis, you go, whoa, in three months, a lot changed. A lot changed and it has a big impact on people so that's how I always start these things I do this year summary the next part here is kind of based on the year summary where it's what did you accomplish in 2021 in this case that was a goal of yours at some point and a lot of this comes out when you're doing your year summary and then each um, you write down how you managed to accomplish that and the idea here is to look at goals that you set that you actually achieved so that way you start realizing that you achieve goals because that's like how if it's just the mindset right like i'm somebody who achieves goals right that's my identity that's that's actually really what it is it's identity my identity as a person kyle van voris is i just do things right i'm a very action-oriented person and when that's part of your identity what ends up happening is you just take action on all sorts of goofiness right and you're just like oh i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that and the problem is you may not plan that much because planning is not part of your identity. So being able to like take the best of both worlds, I think is super important. But the same thing goes with your goals. If you set goals and you don't have the identity of someone who achieves goals, what's going to happen? You're not going to achieve them. I mean, at this point, I cannot hammer home enough. First of all, yes, you're psycho about it, and it is part of your it is part of your DNA at right. this point. Like yeah. it is it is absolutely that is that is that is you. That's what I associate you with. Um, but. It's also something where, I mean, I, I'm sure we're going to go into this in a second, and uh, sorry for interrupting the, the, the whole pro- explanation process here, but it's reminded me so much of uh, Atomic Habits and James Clear and basically this idea of identity shifting, not mm-hmm. just having goals to hit and then move on to the next goal, right. but what are going to be transformative things that are going to help you become the person to do the next thing? Um, I, I remember the specific example that I think he gave, um, but it was about uh, somebody who basically there's a, there's a piece of cake in the room, right? And uh, somebody who is a, uh, let's say, somebody with a, uh, a large sweet tooth and, uh, and but wants to lose weight this year, kind of sees it and goes, oh my God, oh, the cake, well, I shouldn't have it. Well, maybe, you know, we'll have a little bit and then what? Whereas, let's say, an Olympic athlete walks in, sees the cake and goes, oh, yeah, no, I'm an Olympic athlete. I, 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 I don't eat cake. That's not what I do. Right. So that little, just the identity shift is so powerful. It is so underrated. It is right. crazy. And can I actually do another tie back here? This is my third tie back. And it's going to show how much of a professional I am. You ready? When you claim ownership of your anxiety, for example, it's becoming part of your identity. identity. It's just very scary to think about. Mm-hmm. What are you taking ownership of? What are you making part of your identity? And I love that from James Clear, which I think is a great book. If people, It's very popular, so I'm sure most people have read it. But if you haven't, Atomic uh, Havocs is a great book. But being able to shift your identity, because a lot of people say, like, where do I want to be? What do I want to have? It's very common. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you want to feel about yourself? It's equally as important. Because you can walk around being super loaded and being an asshole to everybody and not have a fulfilled life, right? A lot of people live like that. 
you don't want to. Most people don't want to. But if you never think about it, you're doomed to you know go on whatever path the path takes you as opposed to trying to control the path as much as you can. Control as many variables as possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. So let's continue here. So you go through the first step, you write down your kind of your summary of the year. Then what goals did you accomplish and write down how you managed to accomplish those. So a very like an easy example, this might be like, oh, I wanted to lose 30 pounds. I did lose 30 pounds. I was able to accomplish that by having, you know, pretending I'm an Olympic athlete and say, I don't need cake, right? Whatever, whatever the habits or the actions that you took to help you get there. The next part is where we get a little woo woo. Here we go. This is it. This is where you're closing your eyes with some nice soft music with no words, or maybe just my voice. If you want to DM me on LinkedIn, I'll send you a, okay. So visualization. Okay. This is a really important part. And I do this right before we do some like actual, uh, like tangible goal setting stuff. Cause I want to get into the right mental, <laughs> the mental state. <laughs> Can you stay focused here? Trying hard. <laughs> Let's just start from the beginning. <laughs> well, I mean, here, like one thing, when we did this part of the exercise, uh, at the, at the, at the meetup, uh, event, you actually did play soft music. I did. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it is something that <laughs> I can't look at you all saying this, how, but it did help set the mood. It set the mood. It really did. It, did. it was a nice little thing. And we were in the room together. A whole bunch of dudes just sitting together, closing their eyes, listening to soft music, <laughs> visualizing their goals. It was a good mood. And you know what? It worked. It worked. Next time we'll light candles. I wanted to shut off the lights, but I thought that was going to be a little aggressive, so I didn't, just so you know. <laughs> That's a sidebar. On the first know. meeting. On the first meeting. Hey, good to meet you guys. So I'm going to shut off the lights. We're going to visualize together. Are you ready? Okay, so visualization. So here's um, kind of the order of which I visualize. The first is visualizing a time that you're really grateful for. I like to do three. We think of three times that you're really grateful for. Small, big, long, short, doesn't matter. A really, really important piece of it. The next part here is visualizing a year from now. So where are you? How much do you make? How do you feel about yourself? That kind of stuff. And then finally, how did you get there? So you visualize times you were grateful to get that feeling of gratitude. And you really want to put yourself back into those experiences. So you don't want to just think of a time like, oh, my son was born. It was so great. You actually want to be there and visualize yourself. I'm sitting in the seat next to the, you know, the bed thing. And I see my son for the first time. You want to relive that experience. And then when you visualize a year from now, you want to do the same thing. And you want to put yourself in that position. How would you walk around? How would it feel? How would it feel? And really channel that feeling and think about how you, you, uh, you got to that place. Again, I want to pause you here for a second because I think probably 99% of people who try to set goals do not do this. Right. They do not sit down and really truly buy into the process of going through what does, what does it actually feel like? And what did it feel like when, when you had the wins? And then also, what are what would my future wins feel like right. genuinely? And the more thought and effort you put into this, the better you will do, I genuinely believe. Oh, I believe that too. I believe that too. So right after visualization, we move on to positive reflection. And there's three questions in this category. What accomplishment are you most proud of from this past year? Why are you so proud of it? And what impact will it have long-term? Do that three times. I like to try to find three things. And the reason why you want to do this is because it goes back to the kind of the goal thing from before. And by the way, it might just be whatever goals you said were that you achieved, right? Those might be part of it. But you want to find these three moments because it's helping you understand that you have a history of achievement. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how small they are. 
you need to prove to yourself that I can do anything. Let me share a quick story about this actually. This just popped in my head. When I was 21, I signed up for Tough Mudder, okay? At this point in my life, this was before I got into tech sales, I was very broke. I was definitely in debt. I actually took out a predatory loan. That's a story for another time. I, I had like insane, Didn't know this part, crazy man. predatory debt. And um, I signed up for Tough Mudder, which now thinking back on it, like maybe it was a waste of capital, but it wasn't because of what I took away from it, which is, which is what I'm gonna share with you right now. So I signed up for Tough Mudder. At this point, I have a, a torn ACL and torn meniscus that I didn't know about. Story for another day. Um, I knew I had knee problems. I just didn't know the severity of the injury. I sign up for Tough Mudder. I'm all excited. I go there with a couple of friends. I'm not in great shape. So, you know, I'm kind of, everyone else was. I was working at a gym at the time. And um, I wasn't in great shape. I wasn't in terrible shape. You know, we're going we're gonna to do Tough Mudder. Went to Tahoe. Tahoe's at elevation, which is important for the story. And also, it's 10 and a half miles. This is the Tough Mudder obstacle course. There's a bunch of obstacles. And my goal going into the Tough Mudder race was to never skip an obstacle. If I tried and failed, I'm okay. But never skip, because you can walk around them. That's the goal, no matter how tired and exhausted I get. So, I line up, everyone else is glistening, muscles toned, body fat low. Mm -hmm. And then your boy is lined up with them. And I'm motivated, I'm ready to rock, right? I'm excited. Oh, the gun shoots. <laughs> I don't even think they shoot a gun. They just say, go, go. And everyone like, starts running, right? <laughs> so we start running. And the first obstacle is the ice bath. So you have to jump into this bath. This, like, it's, um, it's kind of like a dumpster filled with ice. And then there's a wood thing that you have to go under. So you end up fully submerged in ice. And so I jump. <laughs> and I'm, honestly, I'm probably the only one really prepared for that part of it, right? Everyone's 0% body fat. So I'm like ready. Like, dude, we got our suit on. <laughs> um, so I hop into the thing. I didn't realize that dumpsters aren't that deep. Like I, I jumped into this thing as if this was a 15-foot pool. You know, so I jump with my legs going in first, ready just to dive into the water. And I hit my legs on the bottom and I blow my knee out oh oh god first obstacle and I'm like oh <laughs> I knew immediately there's a big problem I go under the thing I hop out and I get out of the thing and I'm limping now because my knee is all like jacked up oh my god and this is the beginning dude we haven't even hit the mile mark and I have ten and a half of these things so what did I do I was like well I made this silly commitment I'm not allowed to skip any obstacles so I just start walking no more jogging or walking. Everyone has now ditched me in the entire race. I'm last place. And I'm walking. We get to the next obstacle, or I get to the next obstacle, and you know, it's like dig crawling under some some bullshit. So I crawl under it. And I get out, I'm like, fine. My knee's starting to get a little bit better. You know, it's cause it's not like totally broken. I mean it is. You torn ACL meniscus, but like I didn't like Retear stuff. It was just like jacked it up a bit. So I keep going and I'm going through each one of these obstacles. I catch up. Some of my friends had waited for me. It was very nice of them. After like six obstacles, about halfway through the course, and there's an electrical, it's like a loose wires dangling, and you're supposed to crawl through water with the wires above you shocking you the whole way through. I'm very scared of electricity. I don't want to be electrocuted. It's not on my list of things I enjoy. So what do I do? Freak out. I'm hyperventilating. 
I like it, totally losing control of my emotions. And they have some like fake Marine there who's like, you will crawl under the electricity, right? <laughs> They're trying to get you all amped up. And it could have been a real Marine, you know. I respect the, the, the people who serve our country, but I, I feel like it was a fake Marine. He's just yelling at me. And uh, I'm panicking. My heart's beating super fast. And I'm just like, fine, I'm just going to do it. I told myself I wasn't going to skip an obstacle. I go underneath. I crawl. I'm getting zip-zapped all the way through. And every time you get hit by electricity, by the way, your whole body goes as if you're flexing. So it's incredibly uncomfortable. Get through the thing. I have a full panic attack. I cry. I almost throw up. I'm like sitting on the ground like with my little hood on. All sad. And I don't have a hood, but I'm just sad. And I'm crying and I'm breathing too heavy. But I finally <laughs> regain control of myself. Uh, the fake Marine comes over to you. He's like, yeah, you did it, man. That's a good job. I'm like, thanks, man. So I get up. I go to the next one. It's a big, big, tall thing you have to climb. It's like a wall climb the wall, hop over the wall. I'm like, I can't believe it. I have to jump down from the wall and land only on one leg because I don't want to jack up my other leg again. I do that successfully. About eight miles in, we get to a an obstacle that's the monkey bars. And the monkey bars are shaped like a pyramid. So you have to monkey bar up, monkey bar down. If you fall, you fall into mud. Did I mention this is tough mudder? So you fall into mud. So I get there. I'm beyond last place. And the people who are manning this obstacle are literally on their phone, like just kind of chilling, right? They don't think anybody's coming. <laughs> and then they hear, and at this point, like I'm literally in my brain, I'm saying, one more step, one more step, one more step. And they just hear this little limping guy. And they both look and they're like, oh, oh. And they kind of get up and they put their phones away and they're like, you can do it. And I get to the obstacle. I told myself I'm going to attempt every obstacle. Now, we all remember monkey bars as a kid. They were great experiences. But when you're an adult, monkey bars are actually challenging. Yep. And this one goes uphill and then downhill. So probability of me completing this obstacle are 0%. And they're like, you can do it. Like They're trying to be supportive, but they definitely look skeptical of my abilities here. I'm not in great shape and I'm limping. So I grab onto the monkey bars and I start going and I get to the very top of the of the pyramid thing. Okay. So I grab here and I'm like, okay. And I go to grab and my finger slips and I rock to my left, hang on as if I'm Vin Diesel in triple X and swing back and I grab onto it. The two guys manning the things go, oh, they start freaking out. They're super excited. I can't even believe it. I go down the uh, <laughs> the little you downhill make it all the part. Way? I made it all the way without falling. Damn. I couldn't even believe it. And when I got there though, I didn't feel a sense of accomplishment because I was in so much pain. I was so uncomfortable. And they were like, dude, that was amazing. We've seen people who are jacked fail on this thing. Like, that was crazy. I can't believe you did it. And I said, I literally look at them. I go, thanks. Just one more step. One more step. And I do this. And I not only didn't skip any obstacles, I didn't fail any obstacles either. You get to the very end. They give you a beer, which I don't even remember. Because like this, you don't actually care about it. I mean, I'm sure people in shape care sure, about sure, it. Sure. Me, I did not care about it. I was, I was in really bad shape. I get to the end of it. There's another electrical thing that was challenging. You get through it. But what happened from that experience is I realized, oh, I can do whatever I say I'm going to do. It's almost transformative because I said I'm not going to skip an obstacle. I didn't skip an obstacle. And that experience, if you allow it, 
will have an incredible impact on someone. It did for me. And then what became part of my identity was if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Everyone can have the exact same experience with stuff. The reason why I do the positive reflection here to tie this all together is because when you have those experiences, you write down what you, what you're proud of, why you're proud of it and what impact it's going to have long term. You solidify that as part of your identity and that's super important. It, it's, it's huge. And the, the reason I'm sort of grinning as, you, as you're saying this is that I have moments as a kid that I will still refer back to that are wins that I will still remember. And I mean, they're, you know, like I grew up playing a lot of soccer basically. Right. Uh -huh. And like I have plenty of wins that I come to mind for me, basically from the age of like probably like 10 years old or something that I still refer back to as an adult, which is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. It almost sounds silly, but when you have, you know, a whole bunch of wins lined up and you can refer back to the powerful ones for, you know, for moments of real, uh, real clarity, real inspiration. Right. I actually think that it's actually a, uh, a meditative practice. If you have a strong story like this one uh, of yours, a tough mutter, um, that you are able to sit down and think about, remember and sort of recall and bring up the emotions and do the whole thing. Uh, there's a whole thing about lucid dreaming that you could go down with this with this route. It's, right, it's right. a it's it's a very powerful way to focus your mind in a positive way, and that will do nothing but build good momentum for whether you want to set yourself to uh, to be in a good state and feel happy right now, or to push forward to you know set positive goals. Or it's it's a very powerful tool to to use. So if you don't have a, a lineup of your little highlights. Right. Uh, you should probably sit down and think about them. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Collect your highlights. Mm -hmm. It's a definitely a big part of it. So let's move to the next part sure. of this. And at the end, we'll do like a big summary yeah, so we'll you guys can capture it all together. Because I went on a little bit of a tangent there. I apologize. Okay. Constructive reflection. <laughs> okay. We had positive reflection and constructive re uh, reflection. Uh, the, there's two questions in this one. What would you consider your worst uh, experience from the past year? And then what did you take away from that experience? This is pretty simple. And all you're doing here is reminding yourself that when something bad happens, you must pull a takeaway from it. And I am vicious about this. I mean, you know this from uh, working together. If something bad happens, it doesn't matter how out of my control it seems, I pull something from it. Because I have to. I need to learn from every bad thing that happens. So that way, either I can behave better next time something bad happens or prevent it altogether. And there's definitely different degrees of takeaways. But having a takeaway is really important. Constructive reflection is designed to help you pull those takeaways out. This is another one of those things that I think people sort of... Uh you know, poo poo and like uh, uh, sort of push away for, uh, because right. it, it sounds, it's one of these things like, oh yeah, it's just this woo woo stuff. In reality, if you're rock solid, this is something I'm personally very passionate about as well. And uh, you do this better than anybody who I know, actually. The, the, the issue of being able to pull a, a positive lesson from every single goddamn loss that you have, or, or not just loss, but a weak moment, yep. a low light, and you're able to pull something from it it is amazing what what kind of stuff you can then sort of uh, build up in terms of again. I, I keep going back to the word momentum, because if you're if you got the positive thing from the day, and then you also have another positive from the bad thing that happened today, you would just end up with this rock solid thing that every single week you have something that you've pulled. It could have been from a win or a loss, but it's a positive thing that you've pulled and then stuck in into your your little kind of like a momentum building uh, you know hill that you're kind of running up. And yeah, then, yeah, it's 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 a fantastic way to to approach. I think daily life, your work, your hobbies, right. everything. It just improves you so quickly. 
Oh, absolutely. And I, I actually give I'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, my dad taught me this as a kid and you know, we, we had, um, a bunch of experiences and one of them that I remember vividly is I was upset about something in school and I was telling my dad about it. And, uh, I was like, well, that teacher just doesn't like me. And I was like going through all this evidence about why the teacher didn't like me. And my dad's like pushing me, like you can just do, you know, do differently. This can go differently. And I kept pushing, like it's totally out of my control. My dad's like, well, you gotta control something. He's like, there's nothing I can control. Like I'm getting all mad. I'm saying this is all the reasons. And my dad said to me, he said, okay, okay, okay. Let's take a step back. Let's say everything that you just outlined, all the excuses you just gave me are 100% true. I'll concede here. And they're all true. Now what? And that is such a powerful statement. I don't know where he got it, but that is so freaking powerful because it forces you to, to disconnect from everything that's happening to you and focus on what, how to respond. This is something that uh, I think Desmond Tutu passed away this week. Uh, the, uh, I don't know who this is. Uh, he was the Archbishop of uh, of uh, oh man. Now this is this should be oh bad. This is bad. Uh, he is. He's an Archbishop. He's an Archbishop. Um, yeah, good guy. Good guy. Anyway, he uh, he passed away earlier this 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 week, and his uh, one of his big things was about basically never letting a situation control you. And even if it was a bad thing or if somebody right. wronged you and that was actually his approach to forgiveness, which is, which is an, an incredible way to position it to say that if I don't forgive that person basically, and I'm always, and I think about them and I get mad at them, they have control over my state. And you know, and this, this I think feeds back in an interesting way that even a negative thing that happens to you, even some of the worst stuff that could happen to you, theoretically, you could probably turn into some sort of positive I mean, maybe I'm going to an extreme here. I don't but, think you are. But I think it, 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 you, you see where I'm going with this? Totally, totally. You're, yeah, you're not going to an extreme. I, I just recently saw this speaker. Oh, my gosh. I'm really upset. I'm forgetting his name. Maybe you know who he is. Uh, he doesn't have any legs. And he has one arm. I know who you're talking about. Yep. And I saw him live on stage. And he gave probably one of the more powerful speeches I've ever heard. That guy was born with a defect where he had no legs and one arm. And he's there talking about all of the positives that he's been able to pull out of his circumstance. Come on. No legs, dude. This is... So we're using extremes here for a reason. I mean, I think that if, if people like that can do this, we should not allow... It's not that we shouldn't allow things to affect us. And maybe that's another it's a separate point. But there are frameworks that you can use to look for the positives and to turn the negatives into, if not positives, some sort of level of, of, of constructive thing to use for yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's continue here. That was constructed reflection. What would you consider your worst experience from the past year and what did you take away from it? Now is the actual goal setting part. So the goal setting part, uh, four questions here. What are some results that you're working to achieve this year? What is holding you back from achieving these results? And how will you avoid allowing these blockers to stop you this year? Sorry, one more. Finally, what metric will you track? So let me just repeat those real quick. What are some results you're looking to achieve this year? What's holding you back from achieving these results? How will you avoid allowing these blockers stop you this year? And then what metric are you going to track? This is your classic goal setting call them smart goals, right? You want to pull out some key things that you're focused on doing 
and then drilling it all the way down to things that you're tracking on a weekly or even daily basis that are going that are aligned with achieving that goal. Yeah, makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, this thing about um, having a, uh, a North Star metric, right? Is, is that that's probably the the, the, the big summary uh, point here? It's an important one. Right. It's it's one again that I think most people don't really commit to, and they sort of say like, yeah, I want to I want to triple my income next year. Okay, cool. What's the what's the thing that's going to get you there? And right. you know what I mean? It could maybe it is the money that you're tracking, but I, I get the feeling that most people don't have that systematic way to, to look at the the input that they uh, that they're able to look every week, every day, every month, whatever it is that they're right. really on the path or not. Totally. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, habits. So this is the next section here. What are some habits and behaviors you'd like to stop, and what are some habits and behavior that you like to continue? You do this after the goal setting portion, so that way you can align your habits with the goals that you're trying to achieve. Pretty simple stuff. And then finally, back to my woo-woo stuff, I call it the end of this year future vision. So when you started this exercise, you start off with writing out all the things that had taken place this year. Now we're doing the exact same thing, except from our as our future self. So you put yourself in the future, 2022 is over and you're writing an outline of all the things you accomplished in that year. And this is powerful for a lot of reasons. Visualization is powerful. Um, also, anytime you can put yourself in a state where you've already accomplished the thing you seek to accomplish, that thing you've, you're seeking doesn't seem as out of reach. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, really powerful. You write down the full outline just like you did in the beginning and that's it. That's what I do every single quarter. That's my goal setting process. I think it's a great one. I think it's really, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's holistic. It hits a lot of different fields that are important to address along the way of thinking about the past, the future. And then also when you, when you have this type of process, you tend to set realistic goals that are, and, and I don't mean small ones, I mean, but, but ones that are actually realistic and relevant to your life. Right. I think a lot of people, again, get influenced by their friends sometimes and say, well, everybody else is saying this kind of thing, so I should too. So what's, what's, what's my thing if everybody else is talking about right, that thing? Right. And instead, goals should be should really come from you. They should be they should be um, something that you really have ownership over and have direct value and relevancy in uh, to you as a person. I agree, I agree. So let me do a quick summary here. Let's do it, and then we'll sign off. Just uh, so anybody can listen to this, watch this again, and just go right to the end and <laughs> have what they need. So here's the goal setting process: uh, the year summary, where you write out a summary of your year. The second part is that visualization exercise where um, you're visualizing what you're grateful for, you visualize yourself from a year from now, where you are, how much do you make, that kind of stuff, and then you visualize how you got there. Then a positive reflection, what accomplishments are you most proud of from this past year, why are you so proud of it, and what impact will it have long term. Constructive reflection, which is what would you consider your worst experience from the, the past year, what did you take away from that experience, um, goal setting, which is what are some results you are working to achieve this year? What's holding you back from achieving them? How will you avoid allowing these blockers to stop you? And what metric will you track? Habits, what are some habits or behaviors that you'd like to stop? And what are some that you would like to continue? And then finally, writing a summary of this future year, pretending like you're your future self. That's it. It's pretty simple. Dan, anything you want to close with? I think this was a great, uh, great little run through. I think we're going to include some of the uh, the slides and whatnot. We'll g- give you yeah. links to this at the, in the in the show notes or uh, in the description below. Totally, awesome. Well, this was fun. We'll talk to everybody again soon. Take care, guys. Bye.